page 617. And, uh, okay, so uh, 617. This is God's word to us tonight. Okay. I've asked um, Layla if she'd come and join me now. And uh, we're going to read this as a reflection on God's word to us. So this is God's word written about God's word speaking to us. This is a reflection in the heart of the psalmist, pages and pages of it, of how much he loves God's word when it's spoken to us. Okay, so it's Psalm 119, uh, verses 1 uh, down to verse 16. So it's paragraphs Aleph and Beth. Okay, we've got Aleph. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Beth, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not make me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes, as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Leila. So last week, Jit was exploring with us, if you remember, um, Ezekiel's picture of uh, the throne of God in the center of his city, and from that throne, a river, a trickle, a stream starting to flow. It's the trickle, the stream, the flow of the Holy Spirit out from the presence of God into the world. And as it moves outwards into the world, it gets deeper and bigger and broader and faster. And at first you can kind of walk through it, you know, it's just ankle deep. And then a little bit further on, it gets knee deep. And then after that, it's waist deep and you're pushing your way through it. And after that, it's chest deep. And after that, it's deeper than you could possibly get to the bottom of and you're swimming in it. And that is when the really good stuff starts to happen. When it gets that deep that you can no longer control it, when God is on the phone to you, that's when you know 
that the Spirit is at work in the world. And that's when the great stuff happens, the healing of the nations around you. Well, just reflecting on this stream and, you know, that's getting deeper and deeper reminded me of the, um, of the vicar um, who was a very keen sailor. So as he was dying, he said to his two sons, um, would you please bury me at sea? And they went, yeah, Dad, yeah, sure, sure, anything, Dad. And they looked at each other. Anyway, he died. And so the two of them sewed his body up into a, into a bag, into a sailcloth, and they, they loaded his body into um, his rowing boat, and they pushed it out into Langston Harbour, and they started rowing away. And uh, after they'd been rowing for a while, the one at the oars asked the other brother, you know, have we gone out deep enough? So the other brother jumped out of the boat into, uh, into the water, but it was only up to his knees. And of course, you know Langston Harbour, most of that was mud. So, you're <laughs> so he kind of climbed back into the boat again and said, no, we can't bury him here. It's, go out deeper. So, um, so they, they, they rowed out deeper. The other brother was kind of pushing away, sweating away, because it's quite a heavy load. And he says, is that deep enough now? So his brother jumps out of the boat again, but it only goes up to his waist. So he, no, not yet, he says, and he jumps back into the boat. And, uh, and they row further out still. And this time, when he jumps out, it's up to his chest, but it's not deep enough. Eventually, wearily, the one who's rowing kind of leans on his oars and says, surely we've gone out deep enough now. And his brother jumps overboard and disappears from view, right under the surface. And there's a long silence. And his brother's getting really worried and he starts looking over and trying to peer down and see if he can see him under the water. And then suddenly he bursts up out of the, um, out, out of the, through the surface and kind of gasping for breath. And he says, yeah, yeah, that's deep enough. Hand me the shovel. So as we prepare to relaunch this evening service under the banner of going deeper with God... We got these uh, cards last week. Um, did anybody not come last week, didn't get a card? Can I hand you out some cards? Fran, if you could do that, that would be great. Some, some that okay. way. Yep. If I could ask Sam to just hand some out that way, that would be great. So on the cards... Oh, I handed out all the cards, including my own. On the back of the cards, you'll remember that last week was about going deeper and then under that, the next four weeks, this week and the next three weeks, are four different ways in which uh, Jesus is encouraging us to think about going deeper. Going deeper in the word of God, going deeper in the spirit of Christ, going deeper in discipleship, going deeper in witness. Four different ways uh, in which to go deeper. And Jesus asked me to look at the first of those tonight going deeper in the word. So let me ask three obvious questions about that, about going deeper in the word. Uh, and they're those three, you know, eternal questions. What, why, and how? So first of all, what? What would it look like to go deeper into the, to go deeper into the word? Indeed, what is the word? Well, by the word, into which we're going deeper, we actually mean the word with a capital W, the word of God. Not just any old word, not just any words, but the words that God speaks to us. Well, of course, immediately we think of the Bible, don't we? 
all those inspired words that God's people wrote down over the course of a thousand years, and which 2,000 years later, every generation has been reading again and again in order to get clear what God is saying to us. But um, Karl Barth, a hero, heroic theologian, the beginning of the last century, he was, uh, he was preaching and writing through the two world wars from within Germany. And uh, one of his uh, core insights was that the word of God, the Bible, is only the middle section of a three-stage transmission of God speaking his word to us. There are three parts to the word of God, and the Bible is only the middle one of it. The core way in which God speaks to us is, of course, through himself. God's creative word speaking through the Son of God, through whom all things come into being. And that Son clothes himself in flesh, comes amongst us, and speaks in the human voice of God. So we read this not too long ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came from him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only begotten Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the living Word. The living word of God speaks to us in Christ. Creative, redemptive, healing, restorative, fulfilling. But that living word is transmitted to us by the written word. Words that the living word Jesus spoke and words that were spoken about him, about the living word, all of those words were written down and are made available to us 2,000 years later. And that written word, which we have in the Bible, is explained and made real to us when someone preaches or writes about it. So in this very moment, you're hearing me preaching the preaching word about the written word, the psalm that we've read, speaking of the living word, Jesus himself. The living word is presented in the written word and declared by me in this preached word. Now, inter- interestingly, the psalm that we read shows this process in operation in a fourfold loop. It happens over and over again, four times in the psalm. So perhaps I could ask you to turn back to page 617. If you could have it open, that would be great. Page 617. So here's the first loop, verse 1. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. So right back in that kind of far distant past, God saw a group of people who were slaves and who were crying out to him for rescue. And God spoke a word of rescue a word of freedom to them. He spoke it to Moses. He spoke it through Moses to Pharaoh. He said, let my people go. And that word was powerful to the um, 
um, changing of uh, physical situations to the changing of human hearts and released his people. And as he drew them out of slavery across the waters of the Red Sea and into uh, the wilderness towards the promised land that he had promised to them, that he had spoken words of promise to them about, he led them to the foot of Mount Sinai and he led Moses, their leader, up onto the top of Mount Sinai. And there he spoke his rule for them as to how they should shape their community together and live his way, his life. And those ten commandments that he spoke to Moses, he then himself inscribed on stone, on tablets of stone he gave to Moses. Moses took them down to the people, the written word of God, and there he explained to them how that written word needed to apply to their lives. So God spoke the word of freedom and of holiness. He wrote it down, he gave it to Moses who explained those three stages of the word of God. The word of God, God himself speaks, it's written down, and then it's preached and explained. That's first loop. Second loop, in verse 8, we read this. I will obey your decrees. Do not forsake me utterly. I will obey your decrees. Do not forsake me utterly. So, God's love for his people reached out to new generations after Moses, offering them redemption and forgiveness and holiness, refusing to forsake them too. So God's words written on the stone and God's word explained through Moses to them all got written down on papyrus, thus creating the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which priests and prophets and judges in the years, the generations after that, reapplied to their listeners. So there it is again. God is speaking new freedom and life to his people. It's getting written down and turned into scripture. And that scripture is being used to bring people back to God and to, uh, to make God's word real to them. Okay, loop three. This is verse 15. We read, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. So here is the psalmist speaking about his own meditating on the precepts, the law, this written Torah, this, this uh, instruction set of the Lord. So generations later, after the judges and, and so on have moved on through, Finally, we get to the kings and David, the second of the kings, and other psalmists experience God's transforming love for themselves. We read the story in the, in the Old Testament of David experiencing God's love, standing with him. You know, when he's fighting the bear and the lion, when he's fighting Goliath, you know, when he's, when he's on the run. In all these places and times, God is, God's love and promise is with him, and he is experiencing that. God speaks promise to David. David hears it and receives it, draws it into himself. And he himself is singing of that love to others. He's explaining it to others. So David or Asaph or whoever it was who happened to, we're not told, happened to write this psalm, Psalm 119, 
meditates you know, in, his, in his singing, in his poetry, at great length on those statutes and precepts and, and, and commandments and decrees which he has taken into his heart. So in them, in that moment of creating the psalm, you've got, you've got God speaking again into the psalmist's life, you've got the psalmist reflecting on the written word of God, and then you've got him singing and expressing it to those who are around. And this psalm, 119, is just a huge reflection on the written word of God and God at work through it. Honestly, it's, it's amazing, it's huge. Um, it's like a, it's, it's like, uh, just let me talk to you about the Bible and I'll go on all night about it. It's the A to Z of my love of the word of God, literally. You, you, see, the, um, you see the Hebrew characters, you've got Aleph and Beth and they've got the little Hebrew characters next to them, Gimel and and Hay and War and Zion and Hoth, Heth, whoops, and Teth, and on it goes, each of those Hebrew characters. And underneath that Hebrew character, the next section, the next passage, every single verse starts with that letter, with that character. So verses 1 through to 8, they all start with A. Each of the Hebrew lines starts with A. And then the next eight, eight verses, 9 to 16, all start with B. So it's like this huge acrostic in glory of the word of God spoken into the life of the psalmist which he's expressing. It's like, you know, every letter of our alphabet initiates praise to God and his word. That's what the psalmist is saying to us. And people who sang that psalm, they were so enraptured by it, they, they found it so well expressed, their own love of God's word. It was so all-encompassing, so beautiful, so moving, that they used it to sing of their response, their praise of God as well. And they added it to their hymn book. So here we are, we've got, we've got a hymn book that's growing up, that's full of these songs about the word of God having an impact on our life as it's written down and as we, as we listen to it and then as we sing it, we're explaining to each other how much you know, God moves us and how he's at work in our lives and how we love him. We're making it real to each other. Well, then we've got cycle four, so that's verse 16. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. In time, God's people added that whole songbook that they'd got into their scripture. So the Psalter became part of the written word of God. And today, we, as many generations before us, have responded in delight and faith to the written word of scripture in the Psalms, which reflect, reflect what we know about God speaking his love into our lives. So again, you've got God's love to us in this generation made re you know, that we know of and that we read about in scripture, including in this psalm, which I'm preaching about today. So here am I, the preached word, 
preaching about Christ, the living word, as he is found in this written word of scripture. In this case, Psalm 119. So the call for you to go deeper into the word is a call for you to go deeper in all three stages of the word of God being transmitted to us. Of course, it means primarily going deeper into the Lord Jesus, the word of God, the living word. But it also means going deeper into the written word of God, which shows Jesus to you. And it means getting deeper into the preaching of his word, which makes real the written word declaring the living word. So this is my challenge to you. Are you prepared to take the word of God in all these three stages more seriously than you have up until now? To go deeper into it. To go deeper into God's word. So here's my next question. Why? Why would you do that? Well, usually in answer to a question like that, I'd give you six or seven great points taken from, you know, scripture at large and, and organized into a nice, coherent, logical, um, kind of step-by-step -step, uh, solution or, or response. But I thought tonight I wouldn't do that. I thought, why not let's listen to the word of God written that we have been hearing? Why not let let's the psalmist tell us why he thinks we should go deeper into the word of God? So here are 16 points, 16 reasons from the psalmist why we should go deeper into the word of God. They're in no particular order, only the order in which they came into the psalmist's head as he was creating his song, his psalm. But they're all reasons that begin with A or B. Okay, so are you ready? So verse 1, page 617, you follow it through as I, as I tell you and you'll see what I'm saying. Okay. So why should we heed God's word? Why should we go deeper into it? Because verse 1, you'll be blessed by God and you can find out how to be freed of guilt. Verse 2, you can live a wholehearted God-focused life. Verse 3, you'll be walking intimately with God, following in his ways. Verse 4, you'll discover the, f the power of full obedience, not just cherry-picking the bits of obedience that suit you. Verse 5, you'll build constancy of character as you do that. Verse 6, you can then face God without embarrassment. Verse 7, your heart will be straight and true. Verse 8, you'll find God faithful to you. Verse 9, you'll learn how to stay pure. Verse 10, you're in the best place to look for God. Verse 11, you'll discover secret protection from sin. Verse 12, you'll be taught by God himself. That's pretty impressive. Verse 13, you can then tell others what God himself says, what God has told you. Verse 14, you'll have a treasure more wonderful than anything else in the world. As the Archbishop said to the Queen, this is the most treasured possession, the most precious thing this world affords. Verse 15, you'll discover God's ways. And verse 16, your hearts will be filled with delight.
Which of those reasons speaks most to you? Hold that one in your heart. As we go deeper in Jesus, the living word revealed through his written word and made real in the preached word, then basically boiled down, according to the psalmist, we'll discover who God is, we'll encounter him and be rescued by him, we'll learn to follow him and become more like him, and fourthly, we'll be blessed by him and filled with delight in him. And that's just A and B. It goes on from C to Z after that. After all, H is for honey. That's verse 103. And there is nothing sweeter in the world than God's word. But how? My third question. How do we get deeper in God's word? Well, in order to get deeper, first we have to be honest about how deep we already are. Where are we at this point in time in God's word? How far have we got into it? So is it just a ripple across the sand that you can walk across without even getting your shoes wet? You can walk across it without even noticing. Is it ankle deep? So only your shoes and socks get wet, which in some cases is refreshing and in other cases extremely annoying. Or are you knee deep so that it's starting to affect the way you walk and the way you behave? Are you waist deep so that the word is starting to, um, is starting to push you along? Are you neck deep so you can't feel it anymore because it's all around you, but moving against it is really hard, virtually impossible? Or are you out of your depth so you're carried by it, utterly dependent on it, moving with it? How deep are you? If you're honest about that, then you've a better chance of making the mental and spiritual changes in yourself that you need in order to move deeper. Well, once you've done that, once you've recognized where you are, then what happens next? What next? Well, here's some suggestions for you for each level that you might be at. For each level that you might be at. Okay, firstly, you're just at the kind of ripple across the sand level. You're not really in the word at all. You're just sort of walking across it. Well, you need to ask some honest questions. And the first is, if God is speaking to me, should that make a difference to my life? And if you find the answer yes, then the next question is, what is the word of God saying to me? And that means asking some real questions Expecting God to answer you, not just throwing up excuses for why you're not listening to him. If that's where you're at, then Alpha is a great place for asking these kinds of real questions. And as you're probably aware, aware by now, we're starting our next Alpha course on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday evening. And if you're at that stage where you're kind of really not affected at all by the word of God, but you'd like to go deeper, you'd like to start to ask those questions, then please do come and get a, an, inf uh, an invitation from me after the service. Perhaps you're ankle deep. In which case, the next thing you need to do is to read the Bible. You'll find, as you start to do that, you've picked up lots of misconceptions from other people. Um, as you begin reading the Bible, the, the 
crucial first thing is where you start reading it. I don't mean whether on the bus or the train or in your bedroom. I mean which bit of the Bible you start reading first. Because the Bible is more like a bookcase than a book. It's not necessarily best read from left to right. There are bits, different books in the Bible, and some of them might be better starting places than others. In fact, I would suggest the best place to start is kind of over in this direction here. Pick one of the Gospels and start to read about Jesus and ask um, open, heart-searching questions about him. Listen carefully to the word as you read about Jesus. Once you've got going, then you might start reading Bible notes, which will explain to you what you're reading. And if you're not yet reading Bible notes and would like some Bible notes, then I'd love to put you in touch with somebody who can help you to find the right Bible notes for where you're at. That then will help you to move on to reading the Bible every day, not just as a sort of you know, interest or hobby, but as something that starts to be part of your life. And if you've never done so before, you might have got to the point where it would be a really good idea for you to read the whole Bible, not just the interesting bits, not just the cherries, but actually finding out everything that God is saying through his word. Then you could start learning scriptures and their references so that you've always got the Bible ready to hand. Or you could start meditating on a single verse, sucking out all the goodness, everything that God might be wanting to speak to you through that one verse or phrase or word even. Um, we're just, um, we've just been reading tonight from Psalm 119. I've got an extraordinary book which is not, um, not kind of properly published. It was just sort of published in somebody's garage which is a translation of Bonhoeffer, who uh, you'll remember was a theologian who, um, who, was, uh, who died um, in um, prison camp um, uh, in, under the Nazi regime during the Second World War. And uh, he was running an underground theological seminary for training uh, Christian preachers and leaders during the time of the war. And as part of his training for them, he got them every day to focus on single verses of scripture and just meditate and meditate and see what God was saying. Through. And this, in this book that I've got, there's like three pages on each of these verses. So the verses that we read so quickly, you know, 16 verses, okay, that's three quarters of a book. Okay. There was so much there to be seen by him, to be delved and, and sucked out by him from all the good things that God's saying in scripture. So you don't need to feel that just having read a verse, that's all there is to it. There is so much more and more, deeper and deeper you can go into each bit of scripture. Indeed, you could start reading commentaries on the verses and finding out what's really going on in them. Deeper and deeper. So the question is, what do you need to do next in terms of where you've got to in reading the Bible? Okay, so a ripple on the sand, ankle deep, now you've got to knee deep. It's starting to affect your life. Well, the next thing to do is to put it into action. As James uh, warns in his letter, chapter 1, verse 23, don't see yourself in God's word like a mirror and then turn away and walk away and forget what you look like. What would be the point of the mirror? If you're going to look into God's word, you need to see what you look like and then you need to do something about it. You know, you need to get your hair straight or you need to kind of, you know, get your, get your beard shaved or you need to put your makeup on straight. Whatever it is, looking in a mirror 
it gives you an opportunity to change, to do something about it. Reading the word of God gives us an opportunity to change, to do something about it. How do we, how do we make sure that we don't walk away and do nothing about what we've just read in scripture? Okay, three easy ways to avoid that. Firstly, when you read the Bible, ask what single thing God wants to change in you from what you've just read. What single thing God wants to change in you from what you've read. Then pray it in. Ask for the heart to change, a chance that very day to act differently and the courage and grace to do so. Secondly, write it down. You've got, you've got a much better chance of remembering what you've heard from God if you write it down. Don't tell me you can't write it down. You've got a phone. Or you've, some of you use old technology. You've got a notebook. Get yourself a notebook. When you read the Bible, write in it what God has just said to you, what you need to change. And then the next time you read something and you reach for your notebook or your phone, you'll see what he said last time and you'll think, need to do some more of that. There's one more thing that you can do. You can use what you've just read to pray for the world around you. There's so much need in the world around us and God's word, spoken, written, preached, is the answer to all of that need. So as you hear God speak, pray back that spoken word of God into the need around you. As the old evangelical pastors used to, pray with your Bible in one hand and your newspaper in the other. Okay, so you've got to knee level, uh, sorry, you've got up to waist level now. It's starting to kind of move you and, and, and uh, push you around. You're reading and you're putting into practice God's word. The next thing you need to do is to trust it, trust God's word, especially when life is tough, when you're afraid or you're confused or you're angry. Identify what you know from scripture what you know about God and his purposes and then choose to believe that rather than what your feelings are telling you or what other people are telling you. By this stage, you'll know lots about God because you've done all this reading and all of this acting out. So now it's time to take hold of that truth that you know and let it transform or change your mind, shift your patterns of thinking. Take time consciously to repent of the ways that you've thought which are not in accordance with God's word. And then declare the truth that you know to yourself and to others and praise God for it. Okay, so now we're up to our neck. If you're up to your neck in the word of God, that's a great place to be. Okay, so it's really, it's, it's completely surrounding you. It's, you know, it's moving you. You can't resist it. It's coloring your whole life. It's changing everything. But you can still go deeper. You can move on to reading the word, not as a means to an end, but as the place of delight where Jesus is. The place you find Jesus. You can delight in the word of God. And that's, of course, mainly about prayer. Learning to treat it lovingly, not as a duty, seeing it as fellowship with your Saviour, as a love letter from God to your heart. 
Why not thank Jesus for all that he's spoken in his word? All that he's done in the Bible, that he's made that available to you now for you to read. And above all, he is choosing right now by his spirit to speak to you, to your heart. Isn't that amazing? That is our delight. So come with longing to hear the Lord, your Lord and Father, with commitment to his every word, whatever he will say to you. Live it, breathe it, let it impregnate you. Repeat it so much that it changes your patterns of thinking, your your phrases of speech. Quote it, use it, follow it. Be its mouthpiece, rejoice in it. Live it. Why not write your own Psalm 119 of all the ways in which God's word has touched and changed your life. And now offer it back to Jesus as the praise of your heart. Well, I want to finish now with just three small challenges that you can take away for these next three weeks, for this preparatory time before we relaunch our 6.30 service, Going Deeper with God. So these are three simple little ways to begin to go deeper into the word of God as it's preached, as it's written, and as it's spoken by Jesus. So as the word of God is preached to you in these coming evenings, why not start taking notes? How many of you regularly, routinely take notes when somebody's preaching? One. Okay, so that means, Fran, if you could give one of those to everybody. Here's just, here's just a, a kind of way that you could take notes. If you brought this back next week, and I will have some more for those who haven't got them, and brought a pen, you could write notes on whatever you hear God saying next week. And then you'd have a record of it. You could take it away and you could pray about it. And you could remember it the following week and the week after that. Okay? It would also give you a much better way of focusing in on what's being said to you. How many of you can remember the 16 ways of of, um, going deeper into the Lord that the psalmist suggested for us? Okay. Well, you can go back and look and see if you can remember. How How many of you can remember the... Um, uh, what did I do before that? Even I can't remember without notes. But most importantly, as you listen, you can hear what God is saying to you and you can write that down. What's your action? And you can take that away and pray for it. Secondly, as the written word of God is read to you in these next three evenings, and beyond, why not follow it in this paper Bible? I do love Nick up there, and he's the real servant heart, and all those who are in the PA, and out of their courtesy, we get the Bible to read here, and many of you got it on phones and so on. And that's wonderful. It's a really easy way of getting God's word to us. But it's much harder with these electronic means to see the whole picture. If you read it in this, follow it in this and keep it open, you'll be able to look at it as the preaching is going on and see what you think Jesus is saying. You'll also be able to turn over a page or go back a page and see what the context is for what's happening. And if you end up reading this all through the sermon, that's fine. 
Okay? As long as you're listening to Jesus in his written word. And thirdly, as you, so we've had the preached word, take notes, we've had the written word, read it, the living word. Why not, at the start of the sermon, take your, your, your notes that you're just about to fill in. You can, in advance, you can fill in the kind of the stuff at the top. Why not write across the top, I say yes to you, Jesus. It's not magic, but it's a declaration of your intent, and maybe that will help you to do yes to Jesus as you come deeper into him who is our living word. Shall we pray?